Welcome to Aetherius Radio Live, the hour of truth, with Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blake. A very warm welcome to all listeners of Aetherius Radio Live, brought to you on Body, Mind, Spirit Radio every third Tuesday of the month. Discover the cosmic message for this age revealed through legendary master of yoga and world-renowned medium, Dr. George King, between 1954 and 1997. Today, your host, Chrissy Blaze, is joined by another regular and popular guest, Alison Lawrence, an international director of the Ethereum Society, and they will be talking about being very close to our hearts at this festive time of year, the Master Jesus, his true mission to earth. So without further ado, I hand you over to Chrissy and Alison. Thank you so much, Nikki, for your wonderful introduction, and I'm very pleased to once again welcome Alison to Aetherius Radio Live as a guest and to talk about a very, very popular topic, which I know recently, Alison, you had a very successful event in London on this very subject. So congratulations for that. Well, thank you very much. It, it was successful. And what really pleased me was to see how many people are seriously interested in the Master Jesus. It's always thrilling, isn't it, to see people have such an interest in this great avatar and, of course, in his New Age teachings, the Twelve Blessings. So well done for that. Most people still think about the Master Jesus in the Christian world as the Son of God. And sometimes here in Michigan, which is a very religious part of the world, actually, you see all these bumper stickers that say, Jesus is God. But somehow, to me, that detracts from the real sacrifice of Jesus, who was, as we know, the avatar, but also a man. So, Alison, what would you like to say about this tremendous sacrifice of an avatar like Jesus? Well, he chose to come to earth. Let's, uh, this is not, it wasn't a haphazard thing. It was planned, and he came to earth, and he had one main mission, and that was to sacrifice his life. And it's not to forgive our sins. This is some great misconception. People still don't seem to get it. He came to take karma, which is a very different thing, because there was uh, going to be a tremendous earthquake, which was due at that time. And it would have set us back possibly thousands of years. You know, if it had been a a major cataclysm, you know, uh, half of the Middle East might have gone under the ocean. We don't know. So it was necessary for someone of that caliber to come to earth to take karma. And the thing is, it would take someone as advanced as the Master Jesus to be able to do that. See, you and I couldn't do it. You know, a lot of people might say, oh, I'll, I'd love to die to help the human race, but it would they'd just be committing suicide. It really would not achieve anything because we're not advanced enough. And then, you see, you've got the spiritual hierarchy of Earth. Now, they're in a completely different situation. These are the masters, the ascended masters, who have reached the pinnacle of life on Earth. They no longer have to reincarnate. But this is the strange paradox. They cannot directly intervene in our affairs. And yet, 
without their presence on Earth, we wouldn't last very long on here either, on our planet. So it takes someone, an extraterrestrial cosmic master of great advancement and evolution to have to come to Earth and take karma on our behalf. And this was planned, as I say, a very long time ago. Yes, we have so much to be thankful for on this planet, that's for sure. And of course, Alison, different avatars have come to Earth at different times to bring their teachings, their wisdom, to help raise consciousness. Would you like to comment on that, Alison? Yes, most certainly. I mean, we've had avatars who have come over the centuries and they've all had a, a slightly different job to do. I mean, don't forget, going back thousands of years, the human race wasn't one global civilization like we are now. We are much more so. But in those days, you had separate cultures who really had no interaction with each other. So different avatars came at different times for a different purpose. And let me give you an example. Sri Krishna. He introduced the concept of karma yoga, and that was explained in the Bhagavad Gita. And this, this uh, concept was understanding service without attachment to the fruits of one's action. And actually, Swami Vivekananda, he echoed that as well, that this is, this is what the essence of karma yoga is all about. And of course, then it is understanding the law of karma. Because don't forget, before uh, an avatar comes, you'll find that humanity is at a crossroads in one way or another, and they're ready to take the next step forward. So you have to have a new teaching, just something that's going to stretch their mind, open up their consciousness to a higher aspect of truth. So that's, say, Sri Krishna. Then, say, the Lord Buddha, he came later, and his main teaching was finding God-realization and nirvana through meditation and detachment from the world and maya as they saw it. Now, here's another one, a totally different type of master or intervention, Moses. Now, he had a terrible job to do. A, rescuing the Israelites from slavery in Egypt and he gave a code for righteous living, which was essential for all those unruly tribes in those days. And we have to admit, the Ten Commandments, simple as they are, are still the foundation stone of Western religion today. And the other thing that he had to do was to instill in those people the concept of one God. Because for hundreds of years they'd been in Egypt, and, well, we know about the Egyptian religion. It's full of all these little deities and uh, statuettes and idols. And it was very important that this concept of one God was brought to the West. So now you can see the different teachings that had to be given. I mean, this is just an example. I mean, you, we could go on. We could go to China. You have, uh, you know, Confucius, you have the, uh, the I Ching. There's a mystery surrounding these great sages. But coming back to, say, the Middle East, the refinement and sophistication of the Lord Buddha would have been lost on people in the Middle East, say, some 2,000 years ago. So you can see how it's necessary 
for different avatars to bring a new dimension to the teaching that in some ways already existed. I mean, in the Middle East, the Jewish religion, I won't say it's corrupted, but I don't think it was followed to the letter. It became hard, it became cold, unforgiving, and something had to change as far as that aspect was concerned. And then, of course, that brings me to the Master Jesus himself. Is there any comment you'd like to make, Chrissy? I mean, I can carry on. <laughs> yeah, no, of course, now we are once again at this time of great change on the cusp of the age of Aquarius. So let's uh, discuss now the avatar for the Piscean age, which was the Master Jesus. Still, of course, very active today in this age. But um, wonder what you'd like to comment on that, Alison. Well, we've got this great series of transmissions delivered in 1957, the one who came in grace. And the opening statement was made by this great cosmic being referred to as Mars Sector 6. And he sums up in two or three sentences the purpose of the mission of the Master Jesus. Shall, shall I read this to you? Oh, yes, please do. Yeah. Such a one came from Venus to teach you the laws so that you could control basic emotion and turn it into that active thing called wisdom. What is wisdom? What else, dear friends, but love in action? Thus it was that this one came and allowed his brutal murder. Allowed, mark this, O men of terror, for had such a one as that but lifted his small finger in his own defence, then he could easily have overthrown all military might in those days. This murder of the Venusian who walked from Nazareth was allowed because he saw that it was essential that he should take certain karma from terror as a whole. That sums it up, really. <laughs> Absolutely. And also the Master Jesus from an astrological perspective, he was the embodiment of the Piscean Age, um, which began over 2,000 years ago. And the element of the sign of Pisces is water, and the symbol is the two fishes. And Jesus, as we know, was baptized in water. He calmed the water. He walked on water. He changed water into wine. And he was also a fisher of men, as were his disciples. And apparently the early Christians, when they wanted to meet each other covertly, they would draw uh, the symbol of the two fishes in the sand. I know. Uh, it's extraordinary yeah. that how it all sort of comes together in that way. Yes, really. And so the lessons of Pisces, just taking the sign of Pisces, that humanity as a whole has been learning from the introduction by the Master Jesus are, as you say, love, forgiveness, faith, sacrifice, all of these really demonstrated by this great avatar in his sh short life were well, fantastic. So, Alison, it's yeah. so sad, though, that the true mission of this master has been and still is, for the most part, completely misunderstood until our master came along and revolutionized our thinking by giving us the truth about Jesus's mission, which I know you'll talk about little later in the show, Alison, but yes. <laughs> however, there are clues, are there not, in the New Testament 
and even in the Old Testament, I believe. And perhaps you'd like to share some of those clues with us, Alison. Oh, yes, I most certainly. You have to remember, I mean, of course, we have to have this caveat that, you know, we're, we're quoting from the Bible. And although we can't say that everything was accurate, because the New Testament, anyway, was written some 300 years after the death of the Master Jesus. But, you know, we, there's somehow there's still an essence, a certain, uh, it, certain information that has come through. And it certainly does correspond to the later teachings that we've been given and information by our Master and the Cosmic Masters themselves. And, of course, a lot of the time they didn't realize what he was saying because, uh, you know, Christianity has been changed so much over the centuries and it's moved away from the original teaching of Jesus, which is a great tragedy. However, Jesus himself has said certain things which gave a clue to his origins. And I'll, I'll start with this one, which came from Revelations chapter 22, verse 16. He said, I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Now, there it is in plain language, hiding in plain sight. But luckily for us, it was not understood. And throughout the centuries, it was allowed to remain in the gospel. I mean, let's face it, if the popes or the, the religious councils had realized the significance of what the Jesus was saying, it would have caused mayhem the one and only son of God coming from Venus, and it would have been removed as a heretical statement. So that was left there. They just probably saw it as some, just a sort of just a nice statement without realizing what it meant. But Master Jesus said, that's it. He's, he's uh, you know, he came through the, you know, on the physical plane, he was descended from King David, but he came from Venus. <laughs> he said it. Very clear. Now, here's, here's another one which you might find interesting. This is for, also from St. John. If you want me to uh, quote chapter and verse, I can do. But anyway, I verified That's everything. I, I, every statement I came across, I checked in the Bible to make sure that it's, it is the correct quote. And he said, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. So uh, there's already the suggestion that he, he came here from somewhere else to do a particular job. You know, that's, that's the uh, subtext. Absolutely. And I've got, so, oh, I haven't finished. I haven't finished. Here's another one from St. John. And this is what uh, the Master Jesus said to the Pharisees. You are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. So uh, that's also telling it in plain language. And uh, then also Jesus spoke to Pontius Pilate and told him straight that he, Pontius Pilate, had no power over him. And he said, and this is also taken from uh, St. John, this is chapter 19, verse 11, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. So that can translate as meaning, you can't touch me unless you have karmic sanction. That's what it really means. 
But all this was, you know, it's couched in a certain language. It was written in a certain way. And, uh, you know, it really does give some clues if you can just, you know, forget all the dogma and just look at it, what is actually being said. It's very interesting, isn't it? Interesting research there, Alison. It's, um, when you when you know the teachings of the Ethereum Society and then you read the Bible, you sort of see it in a different light um, and can understand it better, actually. Absolutely, yes. In fact, uh, in fact, our master said that very thing, that uh, it helps you to understand the Bible better. Right, right. <laughs> Once we understand... <laughs> the teachings of the cosmic master and of course our master's own teachings i mean you know he is a wealth of information about the master jesus and there's no, i don't know anyone who has given such an explanation of different aspects of his of his teachings no i quite agree uh, now alison there are 18 missing years in jesus life from age some people say 12 in some research it said 13 to 30 it's 18 years which are not addressed by the Bible, but that it's been speculated by scholars and stories handed down in oral form and in writing through the generations. And these years are known as the lost years of Jesus. During these times, there are many lands to which apparently Jesus traveled. Um, some of those stories are so ingrained in the traditions of different countries that it seems evident that Jesus was indeed a global traveler. And I know, Alison, you've studied these lost years. And one thing that's absolutely true is that this great avatar traveled to India and Tibet. And can you elaborate on that, Alison? Well, I have a quote here from uh, the Master of Therius. This was a question and answer session. And uh, the Master of Therius was speaking through our master. And the questioner said, can you give us any information about what happened to Jesus between the ages of 12 to 30? And the master theorist replied, he did, of course, leave the planet several times and he visited both Mars, Saturn and his own planet Venus and also Jupiter. He also spent some time with certain initiates and what you would call masters in the secret retreats throughout Terra. He went to the retreat in Egypt. He went to the retreat in America. And he also went, of course, to the Himalayas and also the retreat of the Indies. That retreat is very active at the moment, as you have no doubt gathered. He did come to England as a boy. So that's, that is, you know, I'll take it from the Master of Therius. That's what yeah. he said. You know, they, there's a lot of... Uh, a hearsay about you know where he went and people have uh, their own preferences as to what they think he might have done but I you know that's what the master theorist said thank you for that Alison actually I found this really really interesting um lecture by our master called the mission of Jesus 1966 yes, yes. in that he talked about uh well can I just read an extract it's so fascinating yeah. yes especially from what you were saying about his um, going to India and Tibet. Our master said it's a known fact and at the right time will be proved to the Western world that agents before the birth of Jesus visited certain parts of this earth, Tibet being one of them, to make arrangements for terrestrial initiations of the master who was to come. Inscriptions have been found in a certain monastery in Tibet 
which, by the way, will never fall into the hands of the Chinese communists if they look for a million years for it. These inscriptions have been found bearing this point out. The complete history of the coming of Jesus was written on stone in the particular monastery to which I refer a long time before Jesus came to earth. It was necessary, as he was an alien, for him to be initiated through the mystery schools of this earth. He came, he was so initiated, and then he started his mission. So interesting, isn't it? Oh, that, yes, that's absolutely fascinating. Well, I, uh, I came across a book by um, a Russian explorer at the end of the 19th century, and he went to Tibet and he found some old manuscripts about right. a saint who came from the West known as Saint Issa, and, uh, which is very interesting because the, the name isn't that far removed from Jesus, you, you know. And interestingly, it's also a name that's given in Islam. And he went, as you say, to study, the, you know, uh, have secret initiations to prepare him for his mission. So he would obviously, because he was so advanced, he would have been given the secrets of kundalini yoga and other hand signs and mudras. And so that he was fully prepared when he came back for a short but a difficult mission because his mission, it was only lasted three years. It's extraordinary. I know it really is, isn't it? Another thing I read, Alison, was that the uh, Master Jesus was very unpopular with some of the priests in India because he openly renounced the caste system. And uh, you've probably heard that. But Yogi Ramacharaka, you know his book, Mystic yes. Christianity, Oh, he, said that, yes. he said in that that Jesus not only publicly denounced the priests, but really brought the point home by staying with the people whom were regarded as the lowest of the low. He the dwelt untouchables. In, yeah, he oh. dwelt in the huts of the sudras, the lowest of all the Hindu castes, oh. and was regarded as a pariah by the higher classes. It seems like it's reported that he made enemies wherever he went, unfortunately, because of his actions, you know. Well, you know, the caste system is uh, um, a deterioration. It's, a, it's a, a misinterpretation of the teachings of Sri Krishna when he said that people should know their duty. They do their work. So they had certain work to do. And it's not because they were a lower class, but it became that. It became a class structure, which it was never meant to be. So, you know, that's another example of how we misinterpret great teachings that are given to us. But another thing we know in the Ethereal Society, Alison, as being truth, but not just hearsay, as you mentioned in uh, before, is that the Master Jesus travelled to England as a boy. And that's particularly of interest to us, of course. Yes, I know. He did. He came, I think, with his uncle, Joseph of Arimathea, Yes. And and I think he I mean he may have come on business but I mean yet it was known that he came there. So he must have had an extraordinary presence especially around Glastonbury. I mean I think Glastonbury tour holds a special significance for people and I believe he he may have studied druidism. There are all sorts of legends you know surrounding this. But obviously he didn't stay. You know, he had a job to do. 
but uh, I think uh, Joseph of Arimathea did originally come on business. I don't know if it was to do the silver or the tin mines. Tin mines, yeah. I yes, believe, that's yeah. right. Yes, I've, I've, I've heard of that. Apparently he was a mine owner in Cornwall. I don't know if that's true, but certainly that's something I've read. But it's interesting because one, one seems to think in those days that people didn't travel too far from their homes. But in fact, you know, he did. Yes, yes, that was unusual, especially coming from that part of the world. Yes, so uh, you're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, the master theory has said it, and that's it. Do you know, there's another tradition now, I don't know whether this is true, that the master Jesus, um, that it was revealed that his grandmother, Anne, was the Duchess of Cornwall. But I've also heard that she was Scottish, and I've heard that he was, she was from France, but uh, which... It certainly seems to indicate that she was from that part of the world, but I don't know if you've heard anything about that, Alison. I'm afraid I can't comment on that. I have I haven't come across that. No, I, I suppose this is where the legends get. I know embellished. You know, you, you know. I, I I have to. I'll stay with what we know to be true. It doesn't mean it isn't true, by the way. No, exactly. I know what you're saying, but um, it's certainly interesting, Alison. There are many stories. Yes and legends about how a Jesus-like figure, and I think here too he was called St. Issa, but I could be wrong, was seen in different parts of the world, including the Americas. Oh, uh, yes. He was, he was seen inspiring and teaching people, and this was after the resurrection. Yes. And I know, Alison, you've researched this, so I wonder if you could share your thoughts on this. Most definitely, yes. So... Uh... Yes, after the resurrection, and, and our master, you know, Dr. George King, has said that he walked the earth for over 500 years, which is amazing, in, in his uh, state, you know, a resurrected state. And there are legends going right across America, the South Sea Islands, Polynesia, and they talk of a white god who came from the sea and who had great healing powers. And uh, there's a description of him. He wore white robes, had long hair and beard, and could walk on water without his robes becoming wet. And they named him Wakea, that's W-A-K-E-A, the fair god of the ocean. And this is very interesting. He had a custom of praying every morning towards the dawn star, which, of course, is Venus. So then he, he went to Mexico, where he was known as Quetzalcoatl, the plumed serpent, and Kukulkan, the lord of the wind and water, with miraculous healing powers, and he had marks in his palms. And people were very sad when he left, and they really hoped that he would return. But there's a really a sad story, in a way, but because they were also warned, especially in Mexico, because they performed human sacrifices, which was an abomination. But when Cortes landed with his conquistadors, they were initially welcomed by the local population because they thought it was the return of the fair god and his retinue. But of course, that wasn't the case. And Montezuma, as we know, he believed Cortes was a pale god, Quetzalcoatl, returning to reclaim his kingdom. But I would think we all agree that history records everything else and the Aztecs were wiped out. 
Yes, that's such a fascinating book, isn't it? He walked the Americas. I've L. got it. Kayla I have Hansen. that. Yeah. Yes. I just there's one thing I have to say before we have a break. When I read the book, um, he talked about the area of the Great Lakes, uh, which was known then as the ancient center of the giant cross of waters. And I believe this area, the Great Lakes, of course, I'm speaking from Michigan, which is one of yes, the yes. Great Lakes. And he said in the book, whether this is true or not, I don't know, but he said this was where the miracle worker, which was we believe was possibly the Master Jesus, trained 12 elders or disciples, one of them to be the leader, who would accede to his title after he had gone about his father's business. And I thought that was particularly interesting because um, our master did say that this area of the country is significant. So I thought that was very, very interesting. Yes, he did. In fact, I, I did make a note of the fact that he did go up as far as Michigan. And then, of course, he walked among the Native Americans. And it's a known fact that they will not go to war while the morning star is shining. Really? So oh. Again, there's another link with Venus. Absolutely. And, and uh, of course, in uh, especially in South America, well, all through the you know American civilizations, the ancient ones, you know, they, they were very good on astronomy and computations of the movements of the planets. And it is said that the prophet, as he was known, used a Venus calendar for his computations. Really? How interesting. Yes, I know. <laughs> there's, there's so many things that sort of tie in to the fact, you know, that it's that we were talking about this same great master. I know, it's wonderful. Well, fortunately, we have to listen to Nikki giving the halfway break. Oh, we're right. halfway through the show. Yes. And so um, let's hand back to our producer. Nikki, thank you. Thank you. Well, wow. Thank you so much, Chrissy and Dallison. That's really, really interesting and absolutely fascinating information. You are listening to Aetherius Radio Live with Chrissy Blaze and her guest, Alison Lawrence, talking about the Master Jesus, his true mission to Earth. And now, as we all know, the festive season is already upon us. And in spite of this, or because of this, we will still be holding regular services around the world at our various centres, and whether they be just audio or audiovisual. So you are always warmly welcome to join in with us on these. So details of all services throughout the Christmas and New Year period are available on Aetherius.org. The next Aetherius Radio Live on January the 16th is entitled The King Who Came to Earth. And as co-authors of Dr. King's biography, your host, Richard Lawrence, will be joined by his guest, Brian Kniep. So that's it for now. And I'm very pleased to hand you back again to Chrissy and Alison. Thank you, Nikki. Alison. Um... Yes. So much more to say. Oh, well, I know we can go on and on. <laughs> but one very fascinating thing, we know that reincarnation should be a part of Christianity. And it appears that in the first 500 years of Christianity, the twin teachings of karma and reincarnation were widely accepted. Um, in fact, there's quite a lot of evidence in the form of references to reincarnation by some of the early Christian fathers and in the Bible. Uh, do you agree with that, Alison? Yes, I do indeed. Um, 
I would say this, though, that the concept of reincarnation was not so clearly defined as it is in the East. Um, I mean, St. Jerome taught reincarnation, but uh, this was almost like regarded as a, a secret doctrine, and it was taught to small numbers of people, and this was not to be divulged. Now, uh, then, of course, you've got all the heretical gospels, like, you know, and there are some Coptic documents, and there's one in particular called the Pistis Sophia. And I found this quote. It says, souls are poured from one into another of different kinds of bodies of the world. So, you know, there's already a suggestion that the soul exists before it is incarnated. Now, Oregon, I think you, you mentioned him earlier on, and he definitely believed in reincarnation, and he was much clearer about it. He believed that all souls, including the most evil, will go back to God. And souls existed before being born as humans, and a soul has no beginning and no end. I think that's, that's very interesting. In fact, that's far more in keeping with Eastern philosophy. Yeah. In fact, I have another quote by Origen from his book, De Principis. He said, each soul enters the world strengthened by the victories or measured by the defeats of past lives. Oh, well, yes. <laughs> his, his place in this world is determined by past virtues and shortcomings. I, I know that because when I worked at King's College, they had a theological library and they had the sort of some of the uh, old books and they had the principles there. And I took the book to our professor of comparative religions and um, I showed it to him and he, he totally did believe in reincarnation. Oh. And Origen was specifically talking about that. So that's very interesting too yes but actually you know even uh, the master jesus himself hinted at the concept and there's a, a story which is recorded in the new testament it's also another quote from john saint john and this was the occasion when jesus and his disciples passed a blind man a man who'd been blind from birth and they asked him master who did sin this man or his parents, that he should be born blind. And Jesus replied, Neither has this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. So you can extrapolate from that, that if uh, his blindness was due to his own sins, then it had the sin had to have been committed before his birth, or in other words, a previous life. So there's a suggestion of reincarnation. But yet, you know, this is a really great story. And it's uh, an episode that really upset the rabbis of the time. Because, sure. you know, I, I'll, I'll tell you the story. So Jesus, so if you'll forgive me for saying this, he spat on the floor. He rubbed, he rubbed the soil or the earth onto the blind man's eyes told him to go to the pool of Siloam, wash it out, rinse out his eyes, and he'd be able to see again. And sure enough, he could see. His sight was restored to him. And this really caused mayhem, because there's another thing. He performed this act of healing on the Sabbath, and you're not supposed to do anything. And they could not understand how 
someone who didn't observe the Sabbath should have such powers of healing. So, you know, it shows once again, he really rubbed people up the wrong way, but he did it deliberately. I believe also that Jesus describes what sounds like the law of karma in his Sermon on the Mount, when he said, with the judgment you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. So um, that's interesting, too. Well, he did say, um, he who holds the sword will die by the sword. Exactly. So, you know, that's just another quote. So yeah. why, this is, why this whole idea is that your sins will be forgiven if you follow Jesus is absolute nonsense. He never said it. It's as simple yes, as so that. true. So true. And as, as we know, Alison, tragically, uh, reincarnation was later removed from the Christian doctrine by the Emperor Justinian. Oh, and yes. I wonder if you can explain how or why this happened and what do you think were the ramifications of this, what seems to us, well, it is a terrible backward move for the Christian church. Well, it is. I totally agree. And uh, it, it, well, uh, there was a big council meeting. It was the Fifth Ecumenical Council, also known as the Second Council of Constantinople, which took place in 553 AD. And Justinian wanted the doctrine of reincarnation removed from Christian teaching because he felt it would undermine his own authority. <laughs> and he reasoned that if a soul existed before it entered the body, it would mean that such a soul would be aware of its divine nature and origin. And... Uh, the church was regarded as the one and only agency of salvation and the only being who, who could exist before coming to earth was Jesus himself. And also Justinian thought that such a person who believed in reincarnation might not want to pay their taxes and respect the emperor. So <laughs> I know it's just a beggar's belief, doesn't it? And this was a time, of course, when many of the lost gospels were considered heretical and banished from Christian teaching as well. So all we have now are the four canonical, canonical gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And that is the, the foundation of a Christian, Orthodox Christian teaching to this day. More revelations have come out since then, haven't they, in the, sort of the last few decades? Um with the same, you know, all the mystical teachings are coming out, but they're actually still being translated, I think. Yes, they are. I think they're being, yes, they are being revealed one by one. Mm -hmm. I mean, I actually have a book on the lost gospels. And I mean, I think the role of Judas has been greatly misunderstood. You know, yes. they, you yes. know, if you call someone a Judas, you call him a traitor, but he wasn't. He was instructed by Jesus to betray him. This was all part of the plan. But the poor yeah. man was, uh, you know, he, he couldn't live with himself after having done that, even though he was obeying his master. And uh, the legend goes that he hung himself, which is tragic. Yeah, absolutely. One thing, going back to Justinian, the Emperor yes. Justinian, um, yes. I always wondered how he managed to pass this through, because obviously he'd have to go through the... The bishops. Well, I, re I read in a couple of places, and I'm not sure it's absolutely true, but it sounds as if it could be, that when they came to vote, as they would have had to have done, uh, only two bishops turned up from Rome to vote, probably because two previous uh, 
bishops had been murdered. Oh, surprise, after, surprise. Yeah, <laughs> after they denounced the dropping of the belief of reincarnation in the Bible. And so it made many of the other Roman bishops afraid to vote. So that I don't know if that's absolutely true, but I have read it and it kind of rings true somehow. Yes, I, I'm sure you're right. But I think, I mean, in those days, I think the emperor would have had the final say anyway. It's only later that the popes in Rome uh, had uh, the complete power even over the emperors and their word was law. But I think up to when Justinian came along, I think the emperor could dictate to the to the, the councils or the bishops. Yeah, this is probably just a show, you know, <laughs> having the bishops vote. But then there's another thing, you know, we know that uh, the Master Jesus was born on March the 15th, you know, heralding in the Piscean Age, but his birthday was changed to December the 25th to coincide with the Saturnalia, which was... Uh, uh, the, a great feast of, uh, you know, where, where the, the masters had to wait on their servants. You know, the roles were reversed, but it was a, a joyous time for the pagans. And uh, the thinking was, well, if we make the birth of the Master Jesus at the same time, it might attract more followers. And that's yeah. it. <laughs> it's certainly a very special month. I've read somewhere that there are 16 religious festivals in December, so it's kind of a, a special time of the year. So it's interesting that we have these two celebrations in a way, don't we? We celebrate Christmas and we celebrate the true birth date of Jesus, yes, which is very right. nice. <laughs> yes. Alison, Alice, there's so many fascinating aspects to the mission of the Master Jesus, as we know. Uh, the great master was able to talk to the average person in a way they could understand through using parables, miracles, but there was also an occult side to his teachings. And I wondered if Alison, you could go into some of the references by our master to the occult secrets of Jesus and how his mission was planned. Right. Well, when he, when he came back from the, the lost years, that's when his mission really started. And this is when he started to display a certain amount of power. You know, he fed the 5,000. And, uh, you, you know, he mul the multiplication of the loaves and the fish, turning water into wine. But this was all within the remit of his mission because uh, an avatar couldn't come to earth to uh, take up on limitation and then display absolutely fantastic powers because, in a way, it would take away from his mission. He, he would no longer be manipulating karma in the same way and he would be, it would be in some way a kind of a force. He would be forcing people to see these miracles. And, you know, it might upset some people, frighten them. You know, who is this God, you know? So he did it in a subtle way, mainly to his disciples, but to other people. He could walk on water, which, as we know, was um, the raising of Kundalini to a high center. And then the technique of revolving the aura around oneself allows you to levitate. So he, he proved this to his disciples. And of course, the great healing powers that he had, which have been demonstrated, raising Lazarus from the dead. But this is the thing. When his mission was uh, reaching its culmination at the point, this is what it was all about, 
then this is where our master was so brilliant. He said he started to show himself as being just a very ordinary person. You know, he didn't show any powers. Right. He, he allowed himself to be arrested. Yes. He allowed all the terrible sufferings and, the, you know, the stations of the cross. We had to carry his cross on his back mm. and he was whipped. He allowed it to happen. This same man, the same being who could walk on water and raise the dead. But this was all part of the strategy. And this was all leading up to the karmic moment. And, uh, of course, that karmic moment was the crucifixion. And the only hint that terrible earthquake was going to take place was just a slight tremor which happened on uh, I think on one of those days and that was it and you see also there's other forces at work you had dark forces from the lower astral realms who would have loved to have uh, uh, scuppered the mission of an avatar because as soon as someone like that comes to earth there's a great light would go through the ethers you know you mustn't forget that and as we know our master you know he later on he fought that uh, evil magician on Carnid Llewellyn, the one who was out to destroy the Master Jesus and stop him in his mission. But they didn't realize that his mission was, in fact, to die. So he fooled them all along. It was a clever strategy. It was a, it was a very difficult, terrible strategy when you think about who he was. But it was successful. I just want to say this, that after the resurrection, this is before he went and traveled the world, you know, the, this 500-year period, he appeared to his disciples, not just to reward their faith for his mission, but it gave them even stronger faith in him because I think it might have been known that they were going to be martyred terribly for their mm. faith, and they died for their faith in some of them in the most terrible ways. So this was really what the strategy was. Yeah. Yes. See. It's heartbreaking to us now. Oh, of course. Know. Most people, when they think about the Master Jesus, think about this time that you've described 2,000 years ago, and yet we know that Jesus has said that he has never left us and is always here with us which is very moving. And as we know in the Ethereal Society, this is so very true with his relevant teachings, his wonderful, beautiful message for this new age. And Alison, would you like to explain more about this message and about the new age teachings of this great avatar of love? Certainly. I mean, the transmissions that come from him through our master they're just pure poetry. And yet uh, also our master said that by practicing his teachings today, we are giving strength to the teachings he gave when he was on earth 2,000 years ago. We're giving more credence to those teachings. But now the time has come, you know, we're in the space age, we can understand certain things. And of course the 12 blessings which is the main practice that we perform in the Ethereum Society. But the, the practice of the 12 blessings was developed 
as a practice by Dr. King, where we recite these headings and then recite the beautiful prayers at the end. And the whole purpose of this is to raise our vibration. Because while we're concentrating and focusing on higher concepts, like the mighty sun or the galaxy, you know, when we are only we're thinking about higher things, higher aspects of creation. And it raises our vibration, it enables us to be greater healers, to send out higher quality energy to the world. And as you well know, Chrissy, Dr. King said, the greatest crisis in our world is a spiritual energy crisis, and that is the best way to tackle it. And if we tackle that, everything else will fall into place. That's so very true. Uh, thank you for that, Alison. Um, one thing, as we know, the Master Jesus, as you said, Alison, he brought forth the great teachings of love and forgiveness and so forth from the age of Pisces, but yes. also has come into this, his teachings. It's not we have to leave them behind to come into this new age of science, but we have to incorporate them. And one of my favorite quotes from the Master Jesus about this age was when he said, the age which is breaking now brings with it great possibilities and is the age of science. Science by itself is like the soulless wanderer of the realms of night, yet a warmth will come out of love to fashion it into a tool so that it becometh as a wise man finding his home. That's so beautiful and shows to me that the Master Jesus belongs to all ages. <laughs> of course. One age. Of course. But what he has done, I feel, is that he has turned what we might call a, 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 a spiritual uh, philosophy into a, something that's scientific. Because at the end of the day, uh, uh, yesterday's magic is today's science. And so it goes on. You know, Absolutely. Every everything we do, sooner or later, uh, the the world is going to understand subtle energy, the different realms of existence, the aura, healing. It's an energy, and all this is this magical practice is actually science. Absolutely, and Alison, something we're coming near the end of the show. Oh yes, and I just want to uh, talk a little to you about the. Lord's Declaration and the coming of another great avatar to earth. And as you know, our master has uh, received the Lord's Declaration and has also discussed this in many lectures and so on. So, Alison, what are your thoughts on this very fascinating, exciting topic? Well, it goes back to uh, the Gospel of Matthew. How about that? And he said, before the Messiah shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them from one another, the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. It will be the sheep, oh, there you are, who will inherit the kingdom, who are the ones who followed the teachings of Christ, the righteous ones. And the goats will be cast out. Well, there you are. You listen to the Lord's declaration. It's not that far removed. This one will be attired in a single garment of the type now known to you. His shoes will be soft-topped, yet not made of the skin of animals. He will approach the earth leaders. They will ask of him his credentials. He will produce these. His magic will be greater than any upon the earth. 
greater than the combined materialistic might of all the armies, and they who heed not his words shall be removed from the earth. It's the same thing. Okay, we're not it really uh, is. being divided into sheep and goats. <laughs> but it's really quite funny. But, you know, there's a, there's a message there. The Master Jesus made another interesting statement. And he said, The next one who cometh with the silver wings of wisdom sprouting from his head will come without that cloud of mystery which surrounded my birth upon this earth. So will the whole world know of this coming. Now, I did an analysis of this. And, I mean, we have, there's not going to be the time to go into all of it. But the Master Jesus uh, is sort of hearkening back to a sort of the Greek mythology, because the one with the silver wings of wisdom sprouting from his head is a description of the god Hermes. Exactly, yeah. And now, and you see, uh, Hermes is depicted as wearing uh, a winged helmet and he had winged sandals, and his symbol is the caduceus, and he's regarded as the messenger and herald of the gods. And the attributes of Hermes are symbolic of the powers of the next master. He will come down he will come down from the sky. He is obviously extraterrestrial. And the caduceus is the rod of power represented by two snakes intertwined around a rod. And that in itself is evocative of the Kundalini Shakti. And in Kabbalistic circles it represents the tree of life, which is the path of spiritual evolution and wisdom. And it is also an ancient symbol of the power and ability to move between the realms. So that is a big key. And that is what that rod signifies. So you can really look into it and get quite a lot out of that. It's a simple statement. That's very interesting, Alison. Yes, I've never thought about that before. So interesting. So Alison, in yes. this chaotic world in which we now live, uh, many people are, are very depressed and worried and I think the message of another master brings us great hope. Um, and people often say, when will the next master come? What are your thoughts on this, Alison, as we draw the show to a close? Oh, I know. Well, um, we haven't been given a date for the next master. It's not set in stone because we can manipulate karma. And some of the, the missions performed by the Aetherius Society, is actually delaying his coming, which is a good thing, contrary to what people might think, because it allows people who are less evolved to grow in evolution, to be given the chance to evolve, because when this next master does come, that'll be it. You know, they'll live out their life and then they will not come back to this planet, and then I, this is when the great change will come. And Very interesting. Yes. I yeah. thought it was so interesting uh, in the, the lecture, the Devic Kingdom. Um, do you remember the uh, alignment of planets in February 1962 when all of these planets were in Aquarius? Yes. The master yes. actually referred to that in the lecture of the Devic Kingdom and said this is a time when a, he just said a, a, a great teacher should have come to Earth. It's interesting. Should have, but didn't. Right, yes. Yeah, we weren't ready. 
and we're still not ready. But no, um, we're not. I mean, look what's happening in the world now. It's just terrible. It so is. We just have to keep pumping out the energy, spiritual energy. The more we put into the mind belt, the more people can draw upon this. Because the whole strategy of the cosmic masters as a whole is to get us to change from within. Yes, they could land in the Hollywood Bowl or Hyde Park. And the master theorist himself has said in an early transmission, he could land on the top of Marble Arch. But what good would it, would it do? You know, it wouldn't, fall, it wouldn't get us to change. It would just be a curiosity. It yes. might frighten yeah. some people. But we've got to change. They've got to have this yearning for spiritual truth. And it's now cosmic truth. It's interesting, Alison. I was going to ask you, uh, as a bishop, to give us a Christmas message uh, as a close of this show or share some thoughts as a good way to celebrate this time of year. But I think perhaps you've just done it. <laughs> oh, right. Yes, I suppose I have. <laughs> so I think... I'd like to thank you, Alison, for a very wonderful show today. So thank very you. relevant at this time of Christmas when the thoughts of millions of people around the world turn to this great avatar of love. So thank you so much. And uh, let's hand over to our producer, Nikki, for the closing announcements. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Alison. Thank you, Chrissy. There were some amazing revelations during this show and I think some very salutary words that we can take to our hearts and into the new year. Thank you both. Do join us on January the 16th for another exciting Aetherius Radio live show entitled The Kim Who Came to Earth and this is with Richard Lawrence and Brian Kniep. If you would like to find out more on the facts or publications mentioned in the show, details are on our website. You can connect with your host, Richard, through his website, richardlawrence.co.uk, Chrissy through her new website, chrissyblaze.com, and of course, Alison through the Society's website, ethereus.org. We hope you enjoyed the show. We've enjoyed it. We thank you for listening, and we look forward to your company next month. In fact, it's next year, 2024. So from all of us here at Aetherius Radio Live, thank you so very much for listening to our shows throughout 2023. And I take this opportunity of wishing all our Aetherius Radio Live listeners a very happy Christmas and a spiritually fulfilling New Year.